I love what uh, Pastor Tim uh, prayed for. We need to never forget what we're here for, and uh, the time around the table, just our time together on Sunday should be a reminder of that, that that, that this life is uh, not the life, right? Uh, this life is the test. This is uh, where we need to perform so that we can get to the life. And so I'm thankful for what he said there. And uh, what we're going to talk about today uh, relates to that. We're going to talk about, as you see uh, from the handout, and uh, by the way, if you don't have one, just raise your hand. We got one down here in the front handout. They're coming, Monique. What we're going to talk about is family according uh, to Jesus. I believe it will be uh, helpful uh, for many of you who have had issues or questions related to this uh, in the past. And so, this subject, or even in the present, I guess I should say, this particular subject is, as we're going to see, very relevant, not only to Christians or those who profess to be Christians, but also the world. And we, if we're going to be and continue to be legitimate followers of Jesus, we need to understand family, that subject, according to Jesus. So again, that is, that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's go ahead and uh, ask the Lord's blessing in our time, shall we? Father, thank you that you've given to us another day to come together as your people, another day to worship you corporately in your house. We know that those kinds of days that you give to us, those Sabbath days, uh, that they are more important than any other day that we live. And so uh, when we come uh, to a day like this, uh, we want to make sure that uh, we are uh, completely focused on the task at hand. Father, help us to do that so that uh, what is said and what is heard in this place is pleasing to you, that we're able to use what it is that we hear what it is that's taught here, that we're able to use it to advance your kingdom and do just that, to bring glory, more glory to your name. In Jesus' name, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Well, if you will, direct your eyes to the top of the handout there to the little introduction that I've provided for you. Why talk about the subject of family? Why talk about the subject of family. Well, two reasons. Here's the first, because Americans, including professing, uh, professing Christian Americans, are genuinely interested in the subject. From a sociological perspective, studies on the family have produced over 50,000 books. From an identity perspective, over 70% of Americans see their identity or commitment to their biological families, get this, as more important than their race or their religion. Their identity or their commitment to their biological family as more important than their race 
or their religion. Over 70% of Americans. The family clearly matters to Americans, including, again, professing Christian Americans. It is their primary interest and their preferred identity, which leads directly to the second reason. Number two, the second reason why talk about the subject of family. Because Jesus and the New Testament writers' view of family is not only very different, but in most cases diametrically opposed to the views of Americans, including, once more, professing Christian Americans. Which means if we are to continue as his legitimate followers, as well as defend against the flaky and false views of many who espouse to be Christian, we need to know the subject of family according to Jesus. Here then is what we need to know. Number one, our baptism into Jesus, our baptism into Jesus places us into a new family. Our baptism into Jesus places us into a new family. And I believe the piece that you had to fill out was the new family piece. New family. Our baptism into Jesus places us into a new family. And uh, the support for that that we find in Galatians chapter 3. So if you would turn there. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. And notice what Paul writes. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no female and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Notice first that Paul sees baptism as the place of saving or effectual faith. Going back to verses 26 and 27, he says, uh, We are sons of God through faith, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Uh, putting all of that together, uh, here's what he's saying. The place where your faith made you sons of God, or where you, again, put on Christ, was in the waters of baptism. Number two, according to the criteria of a family, or the second subpoint as it relates to this first point, According to the criteria of a family, our baptism places us then in a new family. According to the criteria of a family, our baptism places us in a new family. There's two criteria that uh, sociologists use to uh, define a family. The first is family designation. Family designation. And uh, we see that again going back to verse 26. We have a family or familial designation now. You are all sons of God. Right? That term son is a familial designation. All of those in Christ are now 
children of the same father, irrespective of our biological origins or sociological distinctions, which is what he brings out then again in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all children now of God. And so uh, the familial designation, that's the, uh, the first criteria for being defined as a family. The second we find uh, in verse 29, common ancestry or a common ancestor. A common ancestor. Notice who it is. And if you are Christ, you have put on Christ, or by faith you have been put into Christ, baptized into Christ. If you are Christ, then you are, all of you, Abraham's offspring. And so both of the the criteria needed to be identified or defined as a family are there or are found in these verses in Galatians 3. And so the church is just that. It is a family. And our baptism places us in this new family, which leads us then to our second point. Number two, since baptism makes us members of the church, the church represents our new family. Since baptism makes us members of the church, The church represents our new family. And so, uh, I bring this up because uh, someone might say, well, I I get that uh, we have a new family. My common ancestor with you is is Abraham, and uh, uh, like you, I am a son of God. Uh, But what does that have to do with the church? Or what relationship does that have to the church? Well, according to scripture, baptism takes place in the church. And it is through baptism that we are made members of the church, which means uh, that the family, this new family, is the church. The church represents our new family. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 Uh, supports uh, what I just told you. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. There we read uh, these words. So those who received his word, meaning Peter's word, uh, they're preaching the gospel at Pentecost. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So here's the question. Where were they added to? There were added, through baptism, he's already told us that, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added through baptism. But the question uh, that remains open here, that needs to be answered or addressed, is uh, added where? And the obvious answer is, to the church. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. To the church. You can actually uh, write that in your Bible if it helps. This is one of the strongest verses for uh, church membership or supporting the idea of church membership, that we need to be a part of the church. Well, it's also uh, one of the strongest uh, supports, or this particular text is uh, one of the strongest supports for baptism taking place uh, in the church or making you a part of the church. 
They were baptized and added. Where? To the church. And so again, baptism makes us members of the church. Which means that the church is this new family. That which is indicated in Galatians 3. We have become part, through our baptism into Christ, part of a new family. Number three, the church family, not the biological family. The church family, not the biological family, is the greatest institution created by God. The church family, not the biological family, is the greatest institution created by God. Very common today, very uh, actually disappointing today to I hear so many so-called Christians, even churches, and I actually did a, a Google search this week to see just how common this was, and uh, it's very common among those who claim to be Christians, saying that uh, the biological family is the greatest institution created by God. That's just not true. At least not according to God's word. Acts chapter 20, you're in the book of Acts, turn over to chapter 20. By the way, most if not all the verses that uh, we're looking at here this morning uh, should be at the very least familiar uh, to you, including this one, Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Here Paul giving uh, orders to the elders at the church or from the church of Ephesus. He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, referring to their church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he, Jesus, obtained with his own blood. Obtained with his own blood. So the question is, who did Christ die for? Jesus died for the church family, not the biological family. Isn't that what these verses are telling us? Care for the church of God, which he, Jesus, obtained with his blood. Jesus died for the church family, not the biological family. It should therefore be obvious that the family created by Jesus, and you're going to probably want to write this down, that the family created by Jesus is infinitely greater and more important than the one created by you. The family created by Jesus is infinitely greater and more important than the one created by you. The biological family. And again, as I said, that should be obvious based on the fact of who he died for. He did not die for the biological family. He died for the church family. And again, that term church uh, that's an appropriate term uh, to use, a very accurate term to use in relation to the family, or excuse me, in relation to the church. We've already seen that going back to Galatians 3. So uh, this is not just a term that we throw around because we like it or it makes us feel comfortable. It is, again, the accurate or appropriate term to use when speaking of the church. We are, according to the definition of a family, a family. Familial designations common ancestor and again that's who Jesus died for 
He died for the church family, not the biological family. Which again, I'll say it one more time, it should be obvious then that the family created by Jesus is infinitely more important and greater than the family created by you. The church, by the way, is the only institution that Jesus promised would not be overridden by the gates of hell. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of, ha- uh, the gates of Hades rather will not prevail against it. Biological families fail all the time because of sin and Satan. But Christ's church will never fail. Wisdom therefore dictates that biological families put their focus on being faithful to the church. As this once more is the only family under divine protection. The only family under divine protection. That leads us to the fourth point. To follow Jesus, to follow Jesus, a person must demonstrate loyalty to him and his church. To follow Jesus, a person must demonstrate loyalty to him and his church over their biological family. Over their biological family. I'll say it again, to follow Jesus... A person must demonstrate loyalty to him and his church over their biological family. Over their biological family. Luke chapter 14 is uh, the text to consider in relation to this particular point. Luke chapter 14. Verses 25 and 26. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot follow me. He will not be saved by me. I will not be his savior, right? We've talked about this uh, in the past. What Jesus means here by hate is uh, not how we think of it. It's an idiomatic way of using this particular term. It means to love less. So plugging that back into the text, if anyone comes to me and does not love less, his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters. Notice that the majority of the people that Jesus identifies or puts into this love-less category is the biological family. The biological family. And Jesus says, if you do not love them less than me, Jesus, you cannot, or he, that person, cannot be my disciple. This is uh, really where that, uh, that phrase that gets misused uh, today, uh, the blood, uh, or blood is thicker than water, that's uh, what we hear today, blood is thicker than water, and uh, we're told that what that means is that the biological family, the blood that we share in common is stronger uh, than anything else. Well, that's not uh, where that particular, or that's not the meaning 
that uh, was originally given to that particular saying. A fuller understanding of what was actually said makes it clear. Uh, here's what, where that particular shortened version came from, and here's what they said. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. The blood of the covenant, referring to our covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And so the water of the womb, referring to our birth into a biological family. And so that saying would line up with what Jesus is saying here. Hey, uh, our loyalty, our commitment needs to be to Jesus over uh, that of our biological uh, families. Now people, uh, a lot of uh, so-called Christian people would agree with that, uh, but would not agree with uh, this as it relates to uh, Jesus' church. They would say, yes, I need to be loyal to Jesus uh, over my biological family, uh, but not uh, the church or the church family. But here's the problem with that, at least according to John in both his gospel and his first epistle. According to John, you cannot be loyal to Jesus without being loyal to his church. You cannot be loyal to Jesus without being loyal to his church. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself uh, speaks this way, that if you give even a, a, a cold drink of water to one of these little ones, you've done it unto me. Which means that what we do for the church or our loyalty to the church is our loyalty to Jesus. They're one and the same, or at least that's how uh, Jesus views things. Again, John writes to this. We'll start with his uh, epistle, his first epistle, 1 John. Starting in uh, chapter 1. And I just want to read the verses and then I'll, I'll summarize what's being said here. And I think you'll pick it up uh, rather quickly. Uh, if we say verse, uh, ch- chapter 1, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, meaning Jesus, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Uh, But if we walk in the light, and uh, by fellowship that would mean loyalty or love for Jesus, right? Just a a different term referring to that that idea of love or loyalty. If we say we have that, we have fellowship with him, we're in relationship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, uh, we lie or we do not practice the truth. But, verse 7, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with Notice, uh, he changes it here. Uh, We have fellowship with one another. What you would expect him to say here at this point, based on what he said in verse 6, is that uh, we have fellowship with Jesus. Go back up to verse 6 again. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So uh, what you would expect him to say in verse 7 is, but if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him. Right? Darkness means we don't have fellowship. Light means we do. But instead, he doesn't say Jesus. He says we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. And so what does he do here? John tells us right at the beginning of his epistle that uh, to have fellowship with Jesus means to walk in the light. And what that looks like is fellowship, loyalty, love to one another. To one another. 
Uh, continuing on, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Uh, whoever says, uh, whoever rather loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother, and uh, we could put in there again the, for this term hate here, loves less, is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Notice it's all about our loyalty or our love for one another. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. Same context, by the way. This is essentially his conclusion to what he says there in 10 and 11 and then the, the little piece there in the middle, 12 through 14. He concludes by saying, uh, do not love or be loyal to the world or the things of the world. If anyone is loyal to the world, uh, the love of the Father is not in him. Because it's all part of the same context, uh, what does it mean then to love the world? To not love or to love less your church family, your brothers or sisters in Christ. You see, that's the context for how he's using uh, this term world or the things in the world. Do not, therefore, do that. If you do that, you're a, you're a worldling. This has uh, been for some time uh, a particular text that uh, people have uh, somewhat debated over. What is he talking about here? Uh, well, verse 16, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Well, all of those things can be uh, put under that one rubric of anything other than loyalty or love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the world. That's what it means to, in this context, that's what it means to love the world. To love less or to hate your brother. Which again, notice there's that term darkness coming into play. If you do that, you are walking in darkness. And we take that all the way back to chapter 1, verse 6. And what does that mean? We do not have fellowship. We are not loyal then. We are not disciples of Jesus. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Let us be loyal to one another. I've told you before and I'll tell you again. Love equals loyalty. That's how this term is being used. Let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not Love, meaning love his brother in Christ, his sister in Christ, does not know God because God is love. And again, they're the connection between our love for God or Jesus and our love for one another. If we don't have that kind of love, that kind of loyalty to one another, uh, then we do not have that kind of loyalty to God. And so uh, it is a total dichotomy to say, I love Jesus or I'm loyal to Jesus but not to his church. Verses 20 and 21 of chapter 4, finishing up then in this epistle. If anyone says, I love God, notice here making that connection between God, our love or loyalty to God or Jesus, and our church family. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so the connection should be clear based on what John says here over and over and over uh, throughout this first epistle. To have fellowship with or be loyal to or love Jesus or God requires that a person be loyal to, love their church family or spiritual brothers and sisters. Isn't that his point? 
over and over and over again. We are to demonstrate loyalty to the church to the same degree as Jesus. We're to demonstrate loyalty to the church to the same degree as Jesus. What is that degree? Well, there is no limit to the level of sacrifice or suffering we are willing to endure to remain together. Let me say it again, and I would encourage you to write this down. There is no limit to the level of sacrifice. There is no limit to the level of sacrifice or suffering we are willing to endure to remain together. No limit to the level of sacrifice or suffering we are willing to endure to remain together. Where am I getting that from? Well, staying first of all here in John's first epistle, verse 16, by this of chapter 3, verse 16 of chapter 3, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. He died for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought to be willing to go to that extreme level of sacrifice or suffering to remain together. And again, what's John then telling us? We are to be loyal to each other if we're legitimate followers of Jesus. We must be loyal to each other to the same degree as Jesus. Isn't that what he's saying here? He laid down his life. We ought to do the same. As a matter of fact, where uh, John's getting this from is, uh, as we learn from his gospel, John 15, he's getting this uh, from the command of Jesus. John chapter 15, John chapter 15, uh, verses 12 and 13. Uh, This is my commandment. Notice it's not an optional This is my commandment, that you love one another. And notice the comparison here that's giving us then the the, the degree or the scope of that love, that you love or be loyal to one another as I have been loyal or loved you. And uh, at this point, of course, Jesus has not yet died, uh, but he brings that into play because that's what's going uh, to happen. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his and again, this is a command. We are to love to the same degree as Jesus. Which means there is no limit to our sacrifice or suffering. No limit to what we will endure to remain together. To remain together. Now, this is uh, really what Jesus is talking about with Peter. Peter. In John 21, when he confronts him on the beach after Peter denies him three times, and uh, we find Jesus asking uh, Peter uh, three times, Peter, uh, do you love me? And uh, Peter, of course, responds, yes, Lord, you know that I, I love you. You know that I am loyal to you. Notice how Jesus responds, verse 15, Okay, Peter, if you do, here's what you're going to do. Feed my lambs. Verse 16, tend my sheep. Uh, 
Verse 17, feed my sheep. Peter, how you will show that you are loyal to me is by being loyal to my church. And uh, the extent to which you will go, Peter, to do that, if you truly uh, are following me, if you truly love me, if you're truly loyal to me, uh, the extent that you'll be willing to go to do that uh, will include death. Uh, Look at uh, verses 18 and 19. Truly, truly, after saying this, tend or feed my lambs, feed my sheep, Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 18, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, this is how you're going to follow me. Notice by that last little command there, follow me. Jesus is making it absolutely, abundantly clear uh, that what he's doing here in these prior verses by telling Peter this is all about discipleship. This is what it means to follow me, Jesus says. What it means is loyalty, undying loyalty to the point of dying loyalty to your church family, not your biological family, Your church family. Your church family. Romans uh, chapter 8. The last text I would have you consider in relation to this. Romans chapter 8. Again, another text that should be uh, familiar uh, to you. Uh, Jesus here, or rather Paul here, uh, speaking about the love of Christ. And... uh, to this extent or to this degree, says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. That's the extent to which he loves us. And again, our love for one another is to match that. Is to match that. Contrary to the view of the world, Scripture never calls for such love in relation to one's biological family. Scripture never calls for such love in relation to one's biological family. Though we are called to care for them, Never are we called to die for them. That includes our wives or our children. That's uh, the stuff they make movies about or romance novels about, right? And we've grown up with this idea that that's uh, what it means, right? Uh, that's, that's how a husband should be in relation to his wife. Uh, that's how parents uh, should be uh, in relation to uh, their children. Uh, but again, uh, you're not going to find that in Scripture. Never are we called uh, to uh, love or be loyal to our biological family to that extent. We are, however, in relation to our church family. That God expects our loyalty to 
our church family to be more than what is given to our biological families is seen in the example of Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira was uh, the woman, Ananias, the man. They were husband and wife. And uh, you may remember the story, Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. They had a piece of land and uh, they had uh, promised to the church that they would give all of the proceeds of the sale of that land uh, to the church. And uh, they instead kept a portion back for themselves. And so uh, they're brought one by one before the elders. And uh, Ananias uh, being first, they ask him the question, is this the entire proceeds from the sale? And Ananias lies and the Holy Spirit strikes him dead. They bring in Sapphira, his wife. They ask her the same question, and she lies, and the Holy Spirit strikes her dead. Well, why does she die? Well, she dies because of her loyalty to her husband over her loyalty to the church. Think about it. In that moment, what she needed to do, rather than lying and covering and colluding with him or for him, she needed rather to expose and condemn him before the church. It was in that moment a test of who she was loyal or more loyal to. And she chose her husband over the church. And so what happened? The Holy Spirit struck her dead. Putting God in the covenant community above one's biological family is the reason God gave the highest honor or privilege of leading and teaching his people to the tribe of Levi. Deuteronomy chapter 33. In the final blessings of Moses, we read this about the tribe of Levi He says this, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. He did not put, in other words, his biological family over over his or they, rather, the tribe, did not put their biological family over their church family or the covenant community or, more importantly, God. And this is, of course, referring to Exodus 32 in the golden calf incident. You may remember. Moses uh, calls uh, those who are uh, resisting that particular form of idolatry to himself, and uh, we learn that it's the Levites who are doing that, or at least some of the Levites who are doing that, and uh, he tells them to uh, put their sword on their side and to go back out into the camp and to execute those who were guilty of this uh, form of idolatry. And among those that they killed uh, were their biological family. We're told that in Exodus 32. And uh, in Exodus 32, we're told similar words uh, to what is said then here in verse 10. The result of their Loyalty, their demonstration of loyalty to God and the cleansing or the purging of evil from the covenant community, which included, again, even their biological family. The result of of that was this, verse 10, they shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. 
they were given the highest honor and privilege because of such loyalty. Loyalty for God and his covenant community over their biological family. Number five, Jesus only recognized as family. Jesus only recognized as family those who were obedient to God. Jesus only recognized as family those who were obedient to God. So now taking it to one step further, and we're going to see that here in Mark 3. You can be turning over there as I'm talking about this. But in Mark chapter 3, Jesus makes it clear that it wasn't just that the the church or the covenant community was to to be more important, we were to be more loyal to her than we were our biological family. But Jesus makes it clear from what he says here in verses 31 through 35 uh, that we're not even to regard them as family unless they're obedient to God. Look at verses 31 through 35. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came And standing outside, they sent to him and called him, and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get to them in a second. But for the time being, I want you to understand that you too, those that are here wanting to do the will of God, you too are my mothers and brothers and sisters. Instead, after hearing that his mother and brothers are outside seeking you, Jesus responds, who are my mother and my brothers? Notice again, that response. Jesus is essentially saying, why do you call them that? The only people I, Jesus says, recognize as my mother and my brothers are those who do the will of God. Notice again his response, verse 34. Here are my mother and my brothers. You see, something far more radical than just the idea of, yes, that's my biological family, and uh, yes, this is my church family, and they're more important than my biological family, is happening here. Jesus says, who are they? Why are you using those titles in relation to those people? The only people who qualify... The only people who can be identified by those familial designations. The only people that I will consider to be my family are those, again, verse 35, who do the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. So again, Jesus only recognized as family those who were obedient to God. Pretty radical, wouldn't you agree? Again, not just, yes, the church family is more important than my biological family. Wait a minute. 
Let's just strip all the extra labels. Who designates family according to Jesus? Well, based on what we read here, at least for Jesus, the perfect, by the way, perfect son of God, he was not sinning against his biological family by what he says here. According to Jesus, the only ones he saw as family were those doing the will of God, i.e. his church family. Number six. Jesus predicted that his demands, Jesus predicted that his man's demands, including his views on the church family, Jesus predicted that his demands, including his views on the church family, would cause division or separation. Division or separation between many Christians and their biological families. Jesus predicted that his demands, including his views on the church family, would cause division or separation between many Christians. Division or separation between many Christians and their biological families. And given what we already know, it uh, it should be no surprise, right? I'm sure it wasn't uh, all that uh, shocking when Jesus made this prediction in Matthew chapter 10, based on what we already know about Jesus' view of the family, this is what we should expect, what, uh, expect would happen. And uh, maybe just to add another piece to that, based not only on Jesus' view of the family, but how the world views the family. Can you see the conflict? How does the world view the family? They're number one. And by family, I mean the biological family. They're number one. Your allegiance is to them, right? And so, it probably was really no surprise to those who were following him that uh, this was going to cause division this particular view, this teaching on the family would cause division or even separation between those who would follow Jesus and their biological families who did not understand or agree. Which he brings up then in verse 34, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Wow. Do not think that I've come to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace as it relates to uh, the particular subject that he's talking about now, but a sword. Where was the sword going to be brought? Or why was there going to be uh, division? And that's the idea of the sword or what he is attempting to communicate here by the sword. Division rather than unity. Strife rather than peace. Where? Verse 35, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Where is the division? 
Where is the strife? Where is the lack of peace because of Jesus in the biological family? In the biological family. And notice again, Jesus ties it to discipleship. You want me a savior, Jesus says? You want me uh, as your Lord? You want to follow me? Notice verse 37. Again, just what we read in Luke 14. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You, you, you take their side, you're in allegiance to them over me, you can't be my disciple. You are not worthy, you are not worthy of me. We have a, a parallel account of this in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 51 through 53. And... Uh, a little bit more information is given to us here, most specifically in verse 52. Do, not, do you think, verse 51, that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And there's that word, division. In Matthew's gospel, it's, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, but here it's confirmed that what he means by sword is division. Notice that, Division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, biological families will be divided. There will be division in homes. There will be division because of Jesus. I came, again, Jesus says, to bring division. What do we hear today? How how can that Christianity of yours be true when it causes so much division in your family? Some of you have uh, struggled with how to deal with the fact that you have apostate children and talking to others. You sense the tension the tension that is very real, the division that is there because of Jesus between you and your biological family. Jesus said he came, notice again, he came to do that, or that would be rather the result of following him and embracing his radical view of family. Which again, if we don't embrace his view, if we don't practice his view, we cannot be his disciple. As he says, you are not worthy of me. That brings us then to the seventh point in our outline. Jesus' biological family Jesus' biological family, biological family, was disturbed by his radical view of family. Jesus' biological family was disturbed by his radical view of family. In other words, it's uh, not just our families today, our biological families today that uh, are disturbed 
when they see that uh, our loyalty is uh, to the church over them, that we regard as our family the church, and not them unless they choose to follow God. It's not just them that are disturbed. In other words, it's not just the the modern mindset. Even Jesus' own family was disturbed by this radical view. Jesus' biological family thought his loyalty to the covenant community or church family over them to be a sign that he was crazy. Going back to our text in Mark, Mark chapter 3. Check this out. Mark chapter 3. This is just before we see them going to Jesus' house. Here's what prompted them to do that. Verses 20 and 21. Then he went home speaking of Jesus and the crowd gathered again. These are the people that Jesus says, Here is my mother and brothers. This crowd He goes home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family, notice this, when his family, meaning his biological family, heard it, meaning his mother and brothers, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he is out of his mind. That's what Mary said about Jesus. At this point, this is what Mary said about her own son in relation to his activities. In relation to his activities, in relation to the covenant community. In relation to his loyalty to the covenant community. Now, why is that the case? Well, uh, in ancient culture, it was expected that you would spend any feasting or fellowship time, it was expected... Uh, that you would spend that time uh, with your biological family. And this goes uh, all the way back to even uh, texts like Job, where we see the example in Job chapter 1 and verse 13, where it says uh, that the sisters, I believe it is, or the other siblings, were feasting in their older brother's house. Uh, That was uh, uh, the expected activity of individuals. You spent your time, or the majority of your time, uh, with your biological family, rarely and usually only for egocentric reasons did you ever spend time with outsiders or have them in your house. Rarely. And again, as I said, for egocentric uh, reasons, meaning uh, only if it benefited you in some way. And I think Genesis uh, 24 is a good example of this. Uh, this is uh, the account, Genesis 24, verses 29 through 61. And you can turn there. Uh, this is the account of uh, Abraham sending his servant uh, back to his relatives. Uh, but at this point, they don't, they don't know, and we're going to see that, or uh, at least uh, from all indication, they're not sure necessarily that uh, Abraham, uh, or that this particular servant that uh, Abraham sends to his relatives uh, is indeed coming from their relative. This isn't the reason, in other words, that they allow him to come uh, into uh, their house. Uh, they do it for egocentric reasons. Genesis 24 verses 29 uh, through 61 uh, gives us uh, the entire account of that, but uh, we only need for our purposes to read uh, verses 29 through 31. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out toward uh, the man uh, to the spring. So this is after the servant goes, and uh, you may remember, uh, and talks with Rachel, realizes that she's uh, 
uh, Abraham, his master's kinsman or kinswoman, and uh, and uh, she runs back to her brother. And uh, as soon as he, this is uh, what caused him uh, to run out and then say these words. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus this man spoke to me. He went to the man and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Laban's reasons, and uh, it's made even more clear as you move through the, the rest of these verses through 61. This is why, they, uh, or why Laban continues to try to stall him leaving or his departure. He's hoping to get more treasure. And so his reason for, uh, for letting this man, even though this man was coming from his relative, his only reason for allowing this man uh, to come and to dwell in this house was, was because he thought he could get something from it. And was. And was. And so, again, this is uh, ancient culture. They didn't uh, spend time with outsiders. You spend time only with your biological family. And so uh, when Jesus' biological family, his mother and brothers, heard that his house was filled with people who were not his biological family and uh, that those he was spending the majority of his time with uh, were these people. In other words, that these were the people that he was treating like family. They thought he had gone crazy. They thought, in other words, that he was, as the text says, out of his mind. Here's the reason why. Since the only people who did this, the only people who put outsiders before their biological family, and it was true then just as it is today, were those in cults. Those in cults. Think about the connection there. He's gone crazy. What do we say today? They're a part of a cult now. They've been brainwashed. Isn't that the same as saying they're crazy? And that's exactly what Jesus' own biological family thought because of his actions, because of his radical view as it related to the subject of family. Their actions in going to Jesus, and notice again from the text, to seize Jesus, their actions in going to his house and demanding to speak with him are an attempt to do what today we call an intervention. Here's the definition for an intervention. An occasion of which a person with an addiction or other behavioral problem is confronted by a group of friends or family members in an attempt to persuade them to address the issue. That's what they were attempting to do. We're going to go there and we're going to get him out of this, this cult. He's gone crazy. He's been brainwashed into thinking that his family are these outsiders. He's spending all of his time with them rather than with us. Again, Jesus' biological family, just like many of our families today, were disturbed by his radical Well, what does that mean? Well, it means this. We should not be surprised then. If it was true for Jesus, we should not be surprised 
when the world hates us or thinks we're crazy or brainwashed because of our love or loyalty to our church family. Going back to John's first epistle, 1 John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, or verses 13 and 14. John says this, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And again, the context of the entire epistle, the, the, the main topic that John wants to discuss, wants to make sure that Christians understand, is this loyalty, this supreme loyalty that we are to show, this undying loyalty to the church. And he says, don't be surprised that because of that, this is the context, because of that, for this reason, the world By the world he's including here, as we saw back in chapter 2, biological families. They hate you, or they will hate you for this. We know, verse 14, that we have passed out of death, however, into life, because we love our brothers. Whoever does not abide, or whoever does not love, abides in death. Notice that comes right after, which again, just affirms all the more what I just told you. The reason that the world is going to hate us, or believe that we too are crazy, the reason our biological families will turn on us is because of our love, our loyalty to our church family over them. And this again goes back to uh, John's gospel and the words of Jesus. Uh, John chapter 15, that text that we were in uh, earlier. John chapter 15, uh, verses 17 and 18. Uh, Notice again, These things I command you so that you will love one another. And then verse 18, same context. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. They're going to hate you because of this. They're going to call you crazy, just as they called me crazy, because of this. Because you too take a radical view, my radical view, Jesus says, as it relates to the family. A clear indication that you are still then operating or thinking like the wicked of this world and need therefore to repent and renew your mind before it's too late is that you also find your portion or prize in your biological family. In other words, you are more loyal to them than you are to the church. Let me just say that again and then I want to show you the text that supports this. It comes from Psalm 17. You can turn there if you'd like now, but here's what I said. A clear indication that you are still operating or thinking like the wicked of this world. And again, that means you then need to repent and renew your mind in relation to this. A clear sign, though, that that is the case is that you also find your portion or prize in your biological family, meaning you are more loyal to them than you are to the church. And so turning to that text, Psalm 17, verses 13 through 15. Notice what the author says here. This is coming from David. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. So it's the wicked that David wants to be delivered from, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world. And here's the connection between our term world that we have in John and and, uh, this term wicked. Who are the people of the world or how does God identify them? They're the wicked. That includes our biological families if they're part of the world. But notice how else he identifies these people, these men of the world, whose portion is in this life. 
You fill their womb with treasure. You fill their womb with treasure. What does that mean? You fill their womb with children. Hence the reason he says in the very next line there, they are satisfied with children. And they leave their abundance to their infants. That's what he means when he says, whose portion is in this life. Their prize, what they live for, who they are loyal to, is their children, their biological children. They are more loyal to the water of the womb. You fill their womb with these kinds of people. They are satisfied with them. David, in contrast, says, however, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I'm not like that, and so I'll be in heaven because my portion is you. My portion is your people. And so again, a good indicator that you are still operating like the world or the wicked is that you secretly find your portion there. You find your portion, your pride or your prize or your loyalty in your biological family rather than your church family. That brings us then to the final point. And by the way, as we've gone through all of this, maybe a good check your brain moment is this. Has anything that I've said here not come directly from the scriptures? And is there anything that I've talked about that has at all in any way been confusing based on what the scriptures say? In other words, have I twisted anything? All I've done is just ask the question, how does Jesus view family? How does Jesus view family? Final point then, Jesus indicated, so on the positive side of things, Jesus indicated that our practice of his radical view of family would be one of the clearest signs to the world that we are his disciples. You say, man, I want to reach people for Christ, and uh, the only people that are going to come to Christ are the people who want to do things Jesus' way, want to adopt his principles, his views, Well, the clearest way that they have to identify that we are those people, legitimate disciples of him, are again, we are those who practice this radical view of family. Where am I getting that from? Well, one last time, John, the Gospel of John, and a text again that should be familiar to you, John 13, verses 34 and 35. 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give you. Notice, this is a, Jesus over and over saying the same thing. How important do you think it is? A new commandment I give to you that you love or be loyal to one another. Just as, here's the degree thing. Just as I have loved you to the same degree, you also are to love one another. And notice, here's the peace in relation to the world. By this, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loyalty or love for one another. And uh, by the way, the, 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 uh, the little footnote that probably should be here as it relates to this all people, those who will know or will identify us as true followers of Jesus are those who uh, are welcome to God, those who want to follow God. 
We already know based on what Jesus tells us in John 15 that uh, other people are going to do what? Hate us for that. Think we're crazy because of embracing this radical view, for practicing this radical view. But those who are welcome to God, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that will be the sign to those people, the only people that we can reach for Christ. To those people, the sign that we're we're his followers will be this. And so one of the things that we should be telling people when we're attempting to witness to them is our commitment Our commitment as a whole, as individuals, our commitment to one another and the body of Christ. In a world filled with people professing to be disciples of Christ, it can be difficult to tell who is legitimate and who is not. In these verses, Jesus reveals one of the clearest signs then for determining who are his true followers. Do they practice his radical view of family, love or loyalty to the church over the biological family. So this is our closing contemplation for today, and I'd like you to really take some time to think about this. Don't just answer uh, the question, uh, yes, because I'm not asking it theoretically. I'm asking it practically. Do you practice, do you practice Jesus' radical view of family? And uh, this question is, of course, appropriate not just for adults, but also for uh, children. Uh, Some of you who are children in this church, you have biological family that you are still attached to, and you need to consider that relationship based on what we've talked about today. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you must practice his radical view of the family. And so again, do you practice Jesus' radical view of the family? Let's pray. Father, thank you. We've had time again to open to familiar texts, but sometimes asking a different question can make all the difference in the world as to how we see those texts. They take on new meaning or new application. I pray that that's been the case here in this body this morning. Your people, my church family, just as it was for me when I was studying and discovering these things this week. Father, help us to understand how important this is. It's everywhere. If we're to follow Jesus, then it's Jesus' family that is to be our only family. Make it so, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.